0: What's up? What you all laughing at? It's good to see you today. This is going to be too distracting because I can change if you want me to. Nope, you got to deal with it. How many of you intentionally wore an ugly sweater today? Raise your hand up. You intentionally did. Look around. These are the intentional people you're allowed to say, thank you for your ugly sweater. Everyone else just feel sorry for their taste in sweaters. All right, no. So it's great to be here. I want to welcome those of you that are tuning in online and those of you that are out in the atrium. Thanks for being here today. And uh, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads. If you are a guest, let me welcome you as well. Inside of your program, there's a little welcome to Crossroads piece of paper there. My cell phone number's in there. If you're a guest today and you would like to connect, ask any questions about this wonderful outfit or any other things about our church. Myself, I'd love to hear your story, what brought you here to Crossroads today, or maybe you've come a few times and you're like, all right. Now's the time to reach out. I would love to do that. Just shoot me a text message and I'd love to have coffee and get to hear a bit of your story. Uh, so we're in this series called Hope With Us where we're exploring the science and the spirituality of hope. Um, how many of you have, we've said this to people all the time. We start sentences with this it, all the time in our lives. We say, I hope that, have you done that? I hope that, right? And that's more of a wish, we said, because hope involves three things. Hope involves what it involves having a clear vision, a clear picture of a better future. Uh, Hope involves seeing a path to get there, right, that there's a pathway, and then accepting our agency, that we have power, we have something to say in it. Now, before I jump into our talk this morning, our topic, I want to offer a prelude to the message. Some of you are like, Ryan, they're long enough without a prelude. (laughs) What the heck? But I just want to be very quick. So so today we're going to be looking at this, This re- many of you have heard this Christmas story where an angel visits Mary, right? And uh, we've heard and we sing the songs, right, about the virgin who gives birth, okay? Now, here's the thing. I want to say to this, for those of you that are in the space, you're tuning in online, you're finding your way into a community of faith, but you're in a space where you go, I don't know about this whole like virgin birth thing. And, you, and the, that's a real like hiccup for you when it comes to faith, right? If I've got to believe that a virgin gave birth, I'm out, okay? Well, here's what I want to just say to those of you that that's maybe where you are, okay? Here's the thing. It's your first fill-in, okay? In the beginning, in the beginning of this thing we call Christianity, knowing the birth stories, right? Knowing the birth stories of Jesus was not essential to following Jesus. Whoa, that'll back you up for a second, okay, if you're like me and you grew up in church. But here's the thing, like just, I just want to say this. A whole bunch of people that we associate with, like, the beginning of faith, they didn't know anything about the birth stories, right? In fact, Matthew and Luke are the only two of the four Gospels that even mention a birth story. So the earliest followers, Paul, how many of y'all ever heard of the Apostle Paul? Kind of a big deal in world history. Paul doesn't know anything about the virgin birth. We never hear Paul talk about a virgin birth. We never hear about him talk about shepherds or wise men or any of that stuff, right? The birth story wasn't essential to Mark's understanding of Jesus, wasn't essential to John's understanding of Jesus. As far as we know, like historians, scholars, they would say, excuse me, that the writers, of these two gospels, they just didn't know it. It wasn't a part of their tradition, okay? And and here's what's interesting. Jesus never talks about his origin story. Could you imagine being born of a virgin and not pulling that card out every now and then? (laughs) Some of you are like, I shouldn't be laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> but you just did, and it felt kind of good, right? <clears throat> but Jesus, I mean, nowhere in the, in, the, in the canonical gospels, the stories we have about Jesus in the scriptures and the extra canonical, nowhere is Jesus like, oh yeah, well, I was born of a virgin. Like, it never, par- Wiseman visited me when I was a baby in a manger. What about you? I had to go to Egypt. You've never even left this community. Not even a world traveler. You don't even have your passport stamped. Like Jesus never talked about any of that. But here's the thing. The birth stories, what we all need to know about this, is that the birth stories grew in importance the more the church matured. And the more Christianity spread, it became important because there was this big debate that started happening. And here was the debate. When did Jesus become the son of God? That was the question. Was it when he was born from the very beginning, or was it at the baptism of Jesus? Because Mark's story starts at the baptism, and John's story starts at the baptism. So people started arguing about this. Was it as his baptism that he became the Son of God? Was he always the Son of God? Was he always had this divine nature? Like, what was it? So they were big questions, and they're important questions, and that's wonderful. But they're not essential questions to following the peacemaking path of Jesus right? It really isn't. If I'm going to follow the peacemaking path of Jesus, I don't necessarily have to come to a hard stance on when and how that works. That was a question for the early church uh, fathers and mothers that were trying to figure things out. But here's what I would say. So if in the beginning, people, you know, a lot of people didn't know about these, but today, because we have them, taking the birth stories seriously is an essential part to following Jesus, Okay, so for those of you that freaked out maybe just a little bit with that first fill-in, I gave you this one. (laughs) Okay, you really can't in our day and age follow Jesus, follow the peacemaking path of Jesus without taking these stories seriously because they make a claim on us. They make a claim on our lives about the importance of this child, Jesus, about this historical figure. And so while our manger scenes that we have in our homes, that we have, uh, you know, all around us, there are these combinations of stories that are within Scripture and legends outside of Scripture, our gospel sources. We've just become used to seeing it all blended together, right? And we don't really think about it. And that's okay, because the manger scene represents something powerful. It represents something that many of us hold dear, that we find great comfort. And that God was present in, in a unique way and in a powerful way in the birth of Jesus, right? So for many of us in the room, Jesus is an icon of God. Like if you want to know what God looks like, we look to Jesus and that's powerful. If we want to understand that. And many, many faithful followers of Jesus, they read these stories literally and many read them metaphorically. And part of our tradition as a church is we come from what's called a pietistic heritage. And a pietistic heritage is marked by this reality that it's okay that we read these differently. What we're focused on is how, does they, how do they change our lives? How does it affect the way we love our neighbor, right? So whether you take them literally or metaphorically, we need to take them seriously, And we need to not get stuck on this question of did it really happen? And if it didn't happen this way, or if it did happen this way, then the whole thing, like, let's just set those questions aside and say, what are the stories telling us about the importance of Jesus for us and for those early communities, right? So here's the deal. If taking these stories literally is a roadblock for you in being a peacemaker, then I would encourage you to take them metaphorically and let the truth and the beauty of them speak to your heart and celebrate them. And if taking these stories literally enriches your faith, enriches your journey as a peacemaker, peacemaker, then take them literally. But we can come together and love each other. And we can find joy in the discussion about it. We can find joy in the diversity of opinions. And we can remember that the greatest commandment is not to get the birth of Jesus all figured out nice and tidy, okay? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He wasn't like, get my birth right, if there's one thing I wanna leave you with before the ascension is know that there were three wise people, they weren't all men, right? No, what did Jesus say? It was love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and the same is, and, and the second is like it or the second one is of equal importance and that is to love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So we can breathe as we look at this story today. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. All right, if you have a question about what I said, if something confused you there, send me an email, send me a text. We'll figure it out together, okay? All right, all right. I just want to give you a second to absorb all that because it's not often in church you're going to be given permission to not take the story of Jesus literally or take it metaphorically. But remember, we love one another. That's the beauty. The ultimate heresy is to stop loving each other. That's the ultimate heresy. in in our faith, is to stop loving each other, okay? Uh, More important question, how many of y'all like Dr. Seuss the Grinch? All right, enough of that Jesus stuff, let's get on with the Grinch, right? (laughs) Anybody wearing Grinch today? Chose a Grinch, I love it. Yes, we watched the Grinch uh, movie with Jim Carrey this past week, it's always a fan favorite in our house. But there's another book by Dr. Seuss that I wanna mention today, and it's called, Oh, The Places You Will Go. How many of y'all know this book? You ever read it? Read it to your children, read it to yourself. It's a great book. This is a book about all the possibilities and beautiful things that you can do with your life. But it's also about how sometimes it's not always easy. And this book speaks about all these beautiful amazing things in your future the choices that you get to make right the agency that you have in your future but it's also about the reality that sometimes our paths get blocked sometimes we have to adjust and a few pages into this really fantastic story this is what it says it says you'll be on your way up you'll be seeing great sights you'll be joining the high flyers who soar to high heights You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you'll fly, you'll be the best of the best and wherever you go, you'll be top of the rest. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly it's true. The bang ups and hang ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch And your gang will fly on, and you will be left in a lurch. Y'all ever felt left in a lurch? Y'all ever felt the prickly perch? Like, what just happened? Right? Maybe you didn't always feel like you were stuck in a prickly perch. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in one right now, but... But maybe you started your career, maybe you started your relationship with your spouse or your significant other, your partner. Maybe you started your faith journey with this deep sense of purpose and meaning and the reality of God and everything was so good and you felt like you were soaring ahead but somewhere along the way you got hung up in a prickly perch. See, the beauty of this story and the real deep truth that it holds is that sometimes the places we go are more than we bargained for. We have these like hopes and dreams. I have this phrase that I like to use, and I don't. I don't know where I heard it, so we'll just say I don't know. Who do we quote when we don't know? Who said? Winston Churchill said this one time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't want to take credit for it. I, I'm sure I used to be that, like just this picture perfect thing, and then whoa, road, and nobody ever started the journey, turning the car on and going, this is the one. <laughs> like we don't think that, but we find ourselves there. Sometimes we struggle for success at work, The struggle for relations, get surprised by life. Our past just creeps into our hearts and we can't seem to shake it. Shame sets in, frustration, the what ifs, if only I had, why did I not? And we start replaying that past script over and over and somewhere along the way, at the end of the day, reality hit the fantasy of what we thought life would be or what we thought a relationship would be or parenting, can I get it? amen? in the house. Johnson and Johnson's commercials do not portray accurately parenting infants. They're liars. They're liars. And it hits us. And you know, I imagine that Mary, you know, Mary, did you know song about her? I imagine Mary hit a few prickly perch moments in her life. And I imagine she hit them pretty early on. Pretty early on. In Luke chapter one, we get this beautiful story about Mary and an angel that shows up and starts chatting with her. Now, I've never had an angel talk to me. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm just saying I'm happy it has never happened to me. I do not want an angel to talk to me. I like the still, small whispers of my (laughs) conscience. I don't need no angel showing up, telling me I'm gonna give birth, all right? I don't need that in my life. But this happens to Mary in this story. It says in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town. Now it's the sixth month of John the Baptist when, John the ba- when, when Elizabeth was pregnant, right? It wasn't Mary six months. Like, that's how this happened. I was so confused for six months. I just want to make sure everybody's aware what's happening in the narrative, okay? So it was six months, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, right? The virgin's name was Mary. And Gabriel, this angel, came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed, just by the words, not the angel. <laughs> she was much perplexed by the words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Why is this angel showing up in my home, in my room? What is happening? And the angel says to her, Don't be afraid. Now, why would the angel say that to her? because she was afraid. Fear is a very normal response in this moment, okay? So she's afraid. There says, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God, favor with God. And now you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. Now, Jesus is a Greek version of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means God is a deliverer, or actually it means Yahweh is deliverance. The name of the Hebrew God was Yahweh. So, so the, the statement of Jesus's name in itself is this like, like her, her curiosity has to get perked. This new Joshua is being born, this Jesus. And the angel says, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now you gotta remember who Mary is and the, the life situation of Mary. She's a peasant. She's probably 14 years old, 13 years old. Like what's going on here? She's been living under oppression of Rome. She lives in an outskirts in a small community. She's watching life shift and change all the time around her. And now she's hearing of a kingdom who will, that will never end through her own son. It's, that, that's pretty crazy. And she's listening to this and she hears about a kingdom that's never gonna end, a king who's gonna reign, All this stuff is gonna happen. And I love Mary, she's super pragmatic. (laughs) She's like, "Ah, okay, how's this gonna happen because I'm a virgin? It's not like Rome, the oppression, I have no money. What is going on here? It's how's this gonna happen because I'm a virgin? Because the story is about the importance and the beauty and the mystery and the uniqueness of Jesus. It's not about Rome or power or politics. The story is about why Jesus is so beautiful and so important. And remember, this is being written, you know, decades and decades and decades later. She says, how's it going to be? I'm a virgin. He says, well, here's the deal. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob forever. I told you that. It's going to be good. Nothing's impossible with God. He says, the the Holy Spirit's going to come over you. And the child conceived inside of you. This is going to be special and beautiful and wonderful. And then the angel says this. Now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has also conceived a son. Just so you don't think you're super, super special. (laughs) Says this is amazing, it's gonna happen. And it's the sixth month for her. And she was said to be barren. Again, this is an origin story of John the Baptist and why he's so important. And I love the angel says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, that's the point of the story. Nothing will be impossible with God. Not barrenness, not virginity, not Rome. Nothing will be impossible with God. And so Mary's response, here I am, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. I love that Mary took agency here. I believe wholeheartedly that Mary could have said, no, thank you. I'm out of here. Get the heck out. What is going on? Have you met Joseph? He's a train wreck of a dad. No, no, this is not going to work. This is not gonna work, Gabriel. I have no idea what parcel you were thinking you were delivering here, but get out, get out. I really do believe that, you know, perfectly possible. But again, the point of the story is the response to what God is doing is to own and have that agency and say, yes, let it be, I'm in. And I think in that moment, Mary must've had these big, big, big dreams, right? Of all the places she would go. I mean, after all, that's what Gabriel said, a kingdom with no end, a king who would reign forever. Right? I mean, this is like the lottery if you're Mary. I just won, this is amazing. There's an eternal king, an eternal kingdom without end, salvation for Israel, and I'm gonna be like the queen mother? Come on, what's up? I mean, that's a cool Christmas card, you know, you send to everybody. <laughs> like, this year, the king of kings, we gave birth to him. <laughs> We're expecting an eternal kingdom any day. It's gonna be wonderful. Joseph keeps making the tables in the meantime, right? She's got to have these big dreams. Even when like, remember last week as I was talking about how they traveled after the birth of Jesus and they went to Jerusalem to fulfill some of the laws and this guy Simeon shows up and he starts announcing all these beautiful, amazing, wonderful things about Jesus. Like even in that, they're still surprised, which is kind of funny. After having visited by an angel, you wouldn't think you'd be super surprised about a guy telling you cool stuff about your kid, but they were, they were like all taken aback by it. Right, Simeon saying, this is going to be a light for all people, the glory of Israel, this baby. But then it kind of takes a dark turn there. And you might not know it, but when you read it, like, it takes a dark turn, what Simeon says. And the prickly perch shows up in the horizon, right? Like, Mary's thinking this is going to be amazing. It's awesome. In Luke chapter 2, it says that, that the child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, that they were amazed at what was being said about him by Simeon in that moment. Couldn't believe it. And so Simeon blesses them and then says to Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. I'm I'm sorry, come again? (laughs) That does not sound like the glory of all of Israel, an eternal king or kingdom. What the heck is going on here? Right? Like a sword, and then, and then, and then Simeon goes on, this is how he finishes it, right? As if that wasn't dark enough, right? It says, oh, and by the way, a sword will pierce your own soul too. I don't know a better phrase to describe certain experiences in life other than a sword piercing your own soul. And some of you are sitting in here this Christmas season and there's awesome sweaters around you, but you're sitting with a pierced soul right now. And you get it. And I think Mary starts going, was there like an asterisk with what, what Gabriel said to me? Because this was not part of that. Like Gabriel didn't mention a sword piercing my soul. Gabriel didn't seem to mention being opposed And I think in that moment, Mary starts to feel the pressure, and she starts to see off in the distance that prickly prickly prayer bush, (laughs) and starts thinking, oh, hold on a second. I think the angel got it wrong. I think, like, she started to hear those voices in her head, like the imposter syndrome starts kicking in, like, nope, made a mistake. I am not favored of God. I don't think I can do this. I want out. A sword piercing my own soul? Wait a second. People opposing, like their inner thoughts being exposed through their opposition to this. How can I do this? I'm just a young girl from a nowhere town, nowhere village. Where am I gonna find the strength to do this? And in that moment, as Mary begins to experience the fears of having her soul pierced and the fears of thinking, maybe this isn't gonna be as easy as I thought it was gonna be. Maybe this is gonna be more challenging. Do you know who shows up? If you were here last week, you know who shows up? Anna. And if you want to know who Anna is, you got to go back and listen to last week. But I won't bother you again with all the details. But Anna shows up at just that moment, and she begins praising God, and she brings her hope to the moment. It was perfect timing. Why, what's happening? Mary's hope is waning, and Anna comes in with all the hope. And see, Anna brings the perfect answer to all the questions in Mary's heart. She starts praising God. She has hope, God is with us, God is present. She starts talking about this child again. See, here's the thing that I want us to catch today. Hope is the perfect gift for imperfect people stuck in the prickly perch. You all have that person in your life that you hate to shop for? It's kind of everybody in my life. Um, I'm just just not good at shopping for presents because I'm too selfish, Uh, let's face it. But like they're those people, you go, what do I do? They have everything, right? But here's the thing. We can give the gift of hope to people. And it is the absolutely perfect gift when we are living in and experiencing our own imperfections and we're kind of stuck in that prickly prickly perch that Dr. Seuss talks about. And we can give the gift of hope to others, but we can also give the gift of hope to ourselves by living what we could call a hope-fueled life. And that is to say that we consciously choose hope consistently. That we consciously choose hope consistently. That we consciously choose to have a better picture of the future than what it is currently. That we consciously choose to look for those pathways even when they get blocked. And that we consciously choose to say, I have a say in the matter. I have agency. And we can come alongside people when they're in Mary's spot, going, whoa, soul pierced. And we can just be hope alongside and then we can also bring it to ourselves. So, so in your everyday normal life, how do you live a hope-fueled life? We've spent the last three or four weeks talking about hope. So here's some mentalities I want to give us today as we head out into the Christmas week and we wrap up on Christmas Eve with a one final, very short meditation on hope. And as we head into the new year, like how do we live this out? How do we take this and just like put a mentality to it? Well, here's the first thing. Intentionally replace your I can't with we can See, that's my Dr. Seuss rhythm, right? You've got to intentionally replace your I can't with we can. How many Bob the Builder fans in the house? All of you who have kids my age or younger, you know that Bob the Builder. Can we fix it, Bob the Builder? Yes, we can. We can fix it, right? We need to choose hope, right? Intentionally. We can set goals. We can find and create pathways. We do have the willpower, but who is the we in that statement? Who's the we in your world? Well, first of all, I would say it's God and you. That's the first intentional choice, God and you. Maybe the question to wake up to every day is not what am I gonna do today, but is God, what are we gonna do today? Maybe as you walk into a difficult conversation, as you walk into a new experience, starting to shift from the I to the we, God, how, how can we be love in this circumstance? How can we bring hope? And there's a conscious shift to say, I'm not alone in all of this. That there is a loving presence that I can have a relationship with that is holding this whole world together, that is infusing it with love. And so the first we in that statement is me and God. And I get that we're always shifting and changing and reimagining and rethinking through what the word God stands for, right? But at its very base, it stands for one thing we talk about here is that it is a loving presence that holds the world together. And in Jesus, we have an example that you can be connected with this reality in a relational way. That we can live and move and have our being there. So God and you. And the second thing is you and other hope-fueled people. You don't have to walk it alone. Many of us know the importance of having people in our lives in those moments where our souls were pierced, but someone came along and didn't short-circuit our pain. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Don't do that. But just came alongside us as, as having a life full of hope, being fueled by hope, and they just came and they became a pathway for us. They became a person who helped us along the way. They become our Uncle Buck. Another Christmas movie throw out for you, right? I don't know what your uncle said, but you know we all need an Uncle Buck. We all need somebody who's gotten somewhere in life that can help us get there. And they become a pathway. We know that that's powerful. Second thing we can do is we can intentionally replace our what-ifs with what-now. So I think what-ifs have a tendency to be problematic in our lives. We often get stuck in the imperfections of our past. And when we get stuck in the muck of the imperfections of our past, we start asking, what if it hadn't happened to me? Or what if I had only done this? Or what if I had made this choice? Or what if I had, or what if I had, or what if we would have, or what? All the what ifs. If only I wouldn't have. If only I would have. And we get overwhelmed with the what ifs. And what do what ifs produce in our lives? Regret and shame. And regret and shame take us nowhere in life. And so we need to replace those what ifs with what now? What can I do now? Because I can't do anything about the past. And in fact, I'm in a faith that believes that my past is beautiful and covered and full of grace and mercy. And so I don't need to give my past any more control over me. I am free from that. And so I can choose a different script. What can I do now? In this circumstance with this person, what can I do so we move away from the script of what ifs, living in the past, and we have a future-filled vision for our lives, for our relationships, for those areas in our lives where our soul feels like it's been pierced. I think kind of that's why in the story, uh, you know, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. Like they're in it together. They're both having these strange experiences, right? They're, they're both, their pregnancies are surrounded by mystery. Who are these sons that are gonna be born? And they come together and they don't go, well, what if I had just not answered the angel? What if I had just not opened my eyes? No, no, you're not here, you're not here, you're not here, you're not here, you know? But what can we do now? And then I wanna challenge us as a community of faith, as people who call themselves peacemakers. So for those of you that know that language that we're saying, what it means to follow Jesus is to be a peacemaker in our everyday normal lives, is that we can intentionally add your actions to your prayers. Right? Thoughts and prayers are not enough to bring hope to our world. They're just not. Now, I'm not for the abandoning of hopes and prayers, okay? It's not what I said. In fact, I think that's an opposite spectrum. Why in the world would I not want to have thoughts and prayers? I think I want to be a thoughtful person, I want to be a prayerful person, right? But it's not enough. To be a purveyor of genuine hope, the science of hope and the spirituality of hope, not just a lazy sentiment, means that we have to put some action behind our thoughts and our prayers. And so maybe you see a soul, uh, excuse me, maybe you see a sword piercing the soul of humanity. We think of that in terms of those like five unacceptables, right? <laughs> maybe you sense that there's a sword that is piercing the soul of a people group or piercing the soul of a friend and you have said, oh, I'll be praying for you and that's wonderful and you should do that, but that's not enough. The question should be, how can I pray and how can I be an answer to prayer? My tendency is to just wanna be the answer to prayer, if I could be really honest with you. Like the idea of going and sitting in a prayer closet really doesn't do much for me. I know that that's not what you want to hear from your pastor, but it's just true. I'm just more action oriented. I'm just more oriented towards, let's go solve a problem. And if I create a bigger problem solving the problem, it just gives me something else to do, right? (laughs) But we have to balance these things to prayerfully line ourselves up with love, line ourselves up with what God is doing and working in this world, and then act. And that will make the world a better place. And that will make you a better person and me a better person because we'll become hope-fueled people, right? We're not just sitting with, with, with a tank full of hope going nowhere. No, the hope is fueling us in our lives. And here's the thing, hope-fueled people. Hope-fueled people find new beginnings after the prickly perch. I believe that. I've seen it. I've been in this game long enough. I've sat with people whose souls have been pierced Pierced to the core of who they are. And I've seen people climb down from that prickly prickly perch and find a new beginning because they've had a community of hope around them, because they had people who didn't discard their pain, but they said, we can find a pathway together. We can live in the redemptive power of Jesus. It's just like in that book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. Right after after you find yourself stuck in that prickly bush, hope-fueled people, they climb down and they just keep going. They keep going past the land of waiting. They keep going past the times of feeling alone and they feel fear and they aren't sure if they could go on and maybe that's where you are right now. You're in that land of waiting. You're in that space of being alone and there's fear and you're not sure if you can go on. But on you will go, though the weather be foul. And on you will go, though your enemies prowl. And on you will go, though the crack and cracks howl. Onward up many a frightening creek. Though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike. And I know you'll hike far. And face up to your problems, whatever they are. And that is the science and the spirituality of hope. And that can fuel us. That can fuel us past all of the dangers and the frustrations and the soul piercing moments of life. So, we're going to have communion together, sing a couple of songs, light an Advent candle. And as we do that, let me ask you this question What is God inviting you into today? I think this is the most important question we ask every week because you have come here and you have whatever's going on in your life. And what I know in faith and what I believe to be true is that God is real. And that this loving reality is present in a unique way when we gather together. And this unique reality and this love is always inviting us into something. And maybe you heard a song today and a lyric just stuck into your heart. Maybe you heard a phrase today, Maybe as you came in, you saw something hanging on the wall and it just stuck with you and there's just, it's just in your heart. And that's, that's the spirit of God inviting you into something. Maybe you have been zoned out and you just tuned in and you have no idea what I just said for the last 25 minutes, none whatsoever, none. But in your heart, you're like, yeah, I saw that coffee as I came in and coffee with a cause and it made me start thinking about like fair trade. It made me start thinking about modern-day slavery, and how do I get involved? And that's just what you've been thinking about, and that's what God's inviting you into today. Well, I don't know. Maybe you feel like you're stuck, stuck in that proverbial prickly perch. Maybe you need to talk with somebody. Maybe you just go, I don't have the hope, and you'd like to talk with a care minister on the back of your Connect card. You can check that box. One of our care ministers will reach out, sit with you, hear what's going on. You can borrow some hope from them. Maybe it's to put some words and, and some action to your thoughts and your prayers. Maybe it's to go by all the places you'll go and memorize it and read it to your kids. I don't know. But I do believe this if you'll take the next few moments and just open your heart and say, God, what are you inviting me into today? You'd be surprised what you'll hear. So, for those that are guests this morning, around the room we have these trays. They look like little hubcaps, they're filled with cups of little pieces of bread and juice. They are metaphors. And the ultimate thing that they're pointing to is that God is love. And that this love is available and working in all 8 billion people on the planet. And that's what the heart of the Christian tradition is. We miss it sometimes, we forget it sometimes, but that's what these symbols represent. And so every person in here is welcome to the table. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter where you're going, what you believe. This is about... We think a deep truth that sometimes we don't even believe about ourselves, that we're valued, loved, held together by this thing we call God. And so to everyone this morning, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you and every person on this planet, inviting you to a hope-fueled life. So we stand this morning and as we sing this song, please come and receive these, uh, this bread and this juice there gluten-free non-alcoholic so everyone can participate. We'll light our Advent candle, announce the winners here in a few minutes, but just, just pause and come to this moment with an open heart. What is it that God is inviting you into today?